One guest, 10 songs, 10 reasons. Music was my first love on Radio Glamorgan. My guest on this edition of Music Was My First Love is the Professor of Technology and Inclusion at Cardiff University in the School of Art and Design. Having studied graphic design at Newport's Art College, she went on to work on a particular children's animation series. She's also married to former RG chairman and host of Sunday Slip Disc Show, Simon Field. I'm talking about Wendy K. Bright, and we'll hear from Wendy after her first choice, which is from the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Wendy K. Bright, a very warm welcome to Radio Glamorgan's Music Was My First Love. Thank you so much. Wow, wasn't that brilliant? Isn't it brilliant? I, I, could not, I couldn't resist turning it right up. <laughs> it's, it's something that I, when I'm walking the dog, you know, I, I play that really loud and it just lifts my spirits and as soon as I heard those kind of opening bars I was smiling and yeah I just could feel it everywhere in my whole body it's such a wonderful track so thank you for asking me to the absolute pleasure. pleasure has it always been a favorite that track um well it comes and goes to be honest and the reason I chose it is it kind of it it links me to my musical heritage which is not very impressive um really um, but my grandfather was called Dennis Dole, and he had a dance band in the 1930s and 40s, I think. Um, they lived in Swansea, and um, well, they lived in Pontydilas, actually. And he, yes, he had this dance band, and they used to tour, um, quite famous, I think, at the time. Um, my mother always sort of tells me about when he used to bring the band members back home to practice when she was a child. And it, she found it really annoying because she couldn't study and it was really loud and, and how she really doesn't like jazz as a consequence. Um, but my grandfather, he just loved music and there were radios throughout his house and he actually presented a jazz programme on Swansea Oh, did he? Sound. Oh, great. So that would have been, oh gosh, he died in 1988, so I guess it would have been... 1980s um yeah so he he absolutely loved music so and and um so he introduced me to jazz but it, it certainly wasn't the dave brubeck jazz but that particular track is something that does remind me of him but i've chosen songs that i really like and i really like to listen to mm. so there's connect family connections but they're not sort of literally from particular members of the family but yeah so 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 my mother's father, uh, Grandad Dill, he, yes, was, uh, had this dance band. And then my father's father, Grandad Key, um, he was a classical pianist. Um, I don't th- he didn't play professionally, but it was kind of semi-professional. And he just, I just remember him having the most amazing hands and being in his house and just seeing him perform at the piano. Um, he was also a bit interested in uh, dramatics and I've got some photographs of him sort of performing in I think sort of Gilbert and Sullivan things like that so you know they were they were very much kind of music was part of their their life and their livelihood um, not mine but um, yeah so that was that was my link to my sort of childhood memories of, of music and music being played in the house. Did your yeah. uh, love of art and your time at art college tie in with your love of music? Um, 
I think being at art college just introduced me to music in a way that wasn't conventional and um, the fact that musicians didn't have to be like conventionally talented it was a really form uh, an amazing form of expression going to art college for me just you know just I found myself at art college really um yeah and so at art college I you know got into Patti Smith who you're going to hear and Elvis Costello there's so many you know people I I loved at art college that I'm not going to play because there's too many to choose from but what I really loved about the sort of punk era was that it was anarchic and I guess I was a bit of a kind of post-angry teenager and getting a, getting away from home and going to art school. We all? Like, yeah, running away to join the circus. You know, it was just this real freedom. You know, I, I wasn't particularly academically strong at school and I think I sort of, we'd moved around quite a bit and I struggled a little bit with school. Um, but going to art college, I, I guess I just found myself and I was quite comfortable then with my awkwardness so it was good to be kind of a bit odd <laughs> a bit different when you're in art school which it wasn't so good in um in a sort of more traditional yeah. school environment so so I think the, the music and the art they sort of went together um you know if you if you think of some of the fantastic um, album covers and things that started to emerge through that kind of punk scene, that that very much tied in with how I sort of developed my sort of interest in arts as a career because um, I studied graphic design and so a lot of that was into, influenced by Peter Saville and people sort of coming out of that punk, um, yeah, punk era, I suppose, yeah. Tell me about your second choice, Wendy, which is from Carnival of the Animals. Yeah, so so Carnival of the Animals, uh, Sans Sam. It's there, there's lots of connections here, and I think all my tracks have got sort of family connections, little stories behind them. There, there's so many classical pieces I could have chosen from, and I chose the Aquarium because it's for a couple of reasons. I wanted to have to include a classical piece of music. And there are so many classical pieces that I love. Um, but I, I chose this one for two reasons. Although I studied um, graphic design in art, in art school, I specialised in film. I, I kind of took a slight diversion. And um, so I was part of Newport Film School, and it was at film school that I discovered the work of Terence Malick, who is just the most extraordinary director of beautifully evocative films very gentle narratives and um, so one, one of my favourite films is, D- is Days of Heaven and it's his second film the first one was Badlands um, and there's a, there's a really beautiful title sequence to that film so again this is part of my marriage of um, design and, and film and graphics is like you know title sequences um, so the so um, the aquarium is used for this title sequence and it's absolutely beautiful and it is one of my favourite films. But the other reason I've chosen it is we are a family of swimmers, uh, we're little fish, <laughs> and um, so my mother um, taught swimming, gave swimming lessons um, when we were children. So my brother and I, we were always in the pool, and I, although I think I would have liked to have been 
more of a dancer and performer. It was never going to happen because I was too shy. Synchronised swimming? Well, do you know what? It's a possibility. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I I spent a lot of time in the pool and I was actually quite a good swimmer. And I did swim at national level and um, get to swim for West Wales and travel a lot. And I swim at the Heath Pool, which is a very nice pool. Um, and and so both our children, Rosie and Joe, they're both very good swimmers. So the the aquarium is something that connects me to the water. always been a part of your life as a child? Um, no, I don't think so. Not really. Um, as I said, I was a sort of pretty unimpressive child. I, I find that hard to believe. <laughs> well, yeah, well, there were sort of lots of things in my childhood. So was it, was it something that you sort of came to? Um, yes. When I started, I'd always drawn. I've always drawn. So I guess... You know, when you think of art, you can sometimes think of art perhaps as, as something that is exhibited um, or is uh, demonstrates a particular skill. I, I, I don't think I really felt that that was something obvious to me, but I always drew. I used to do, uh, I used to do lots of drawings for my brother and make up stories and draw these little stories and tell my brother's story. So I, I always drew and I always had a sketchbook. Um, but yeah, it wasn't something that was a, a deliberate thing. I think it's just something that I did. Uh, but then when I was in, when I started secondary school, and you know you have to do O levels <laughs> and things like that, um, I did choose O level art, and 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 I got to spend quite a lot of time in the art room. I had a great art teacher, um, and she she was a bit wacky, you know. She was into kind of. Um, trying to think of the design, designers, probably a bit before Zandra Rhodes, but she did look a bit like Zandra Rhodes, which is really cool. Yeah. And so she used to let me sort of spend a lot of time in the art room, so I used to skive off a number of my lessons and spend a lot of time in the art room. So I think I found the art room a place where I could be myself mm. and, um, and skive off lessons I didn't really enjoy. <laughs> so... Um, and then, of course, you do a level art, and then you have to kind of follow conventions and do lots of still lives and yeah. drawing from life and, you know, that sort of stuff, which I, I, I did quite enjoy that discipline, but I always liked things that were a little bit grotesque. So I like to kind of put little things in that were a bit unexpected. But I did I did okay in, in my art O-level, so I did art A-level, and I did very well in my art A-level, um, which I, I don't think is necessarily a sign that you're particularly good. It just means that you know how to pass, you know, to, to, to do it in a quite mm. conventional way. So, but what, being, what that did for me is kind of direct me towards film school, uh, sorry, to art college and then in, into film school through the art college route. So it was, it's definitely the right thing for me and when you when you went down the art route particularly with o levels um yeah. was there support at home or was it was it a yeah. question of oh that's you won't get a proper job no i think my mum was just delighted i was doing something um you know and sort of not mooching around being a bit sort of sullen and awkward mm. so um yeah no very supportive i think um 
sort of my mum recognised that I had a bit of talent, and that was nice. Um, so yeah, yeah, but I think it was probably more like, thank goodness I'm I'm doing something that I enjoy as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I did have support. Your next choice is a particular favourite of mine. I mean, I love the song, but I particularly like this version. Uh, the Orpheus Male Choir in their version of Rhythm of Life. Tell me about this one. Oh, so, uh, yes, so um, as a child, mum used to play quite a bit of classical music because, she, she, like I said, she wasn't into jazz. And you know, when, she'd out, uh, when she was out, I used to sort of play the classical records on, you know, traditional gramophone mm. and dance around quite a lot. You know, around about that time, sort of growing up as a child, I, we used to listen, watch a lot of musicals, and I absolutely loved musicals. So I, I would... So I was a bit of a sort of closet performer, as I said, and um, really love Bob, Bob Foss. He's an absolute hero. And um, Sweet Charity It is again, you know, alongside a few others, um, one of my favourite films. I, I love all Bob Foss's films. And um, so I, I chose this one because I love the film and uh, my daughter, Rosie, played one of the prostitutes in the film in the high school production which she played very well um but also um every year i go with my mum to the welsh proms and um in 2017 i think they did it again in 2018 actually we we go to the brass and voices for obvious reasons Mm. and um just to my utter surprise and delight um, I think it was the Corey band actually and one of the male voice choirs I can't quite remember which one that performed it at the Welsh Proms and it was Owen Arwen Hughes and I think it was an anniversary of his oh it was just brilliant and, and they started to, to play Rhythm of Life I was just like oh my goodness um, and, and I was just found myself dancing so I thought well I will play this one for my mum uh, she really she really kind of lives life to the full. She's had to deal with quite a lot of difficult things and she just she just goes for it. So I just want to play that as a reminder of those great concerts we went to. My my favourite ever director, Bob Foss, and uh, young Wendy dancing around the room when nobody's looking. <laughs> So, Wendy, how did your paths cross with Supertend? <laughs> oh, right. As you've mentioned, I went to art college. I went to Newport Art College and um, studied graphic design for probably the best part of two years. And then, um, as you've also mentioned, um, or I've mentioned, we started talking about is I I love drawing, mm-hmm. drawing all the time. When I when I started studying graphic design, I. I kind of had less opportunity to draw. Um, I did learn lots of interesting things, but I wasn't drawing so much. Um, and then I, I had an opportunity to do, um, to choose a module you'd call it today, I can't remember what it was called at the time, a pathway in animation. And uh, so I took this option and started drawing again and realized that I could have a lot of fun drawing movement. So I started making films, um, animation, films as part of my program and um, 
part of my degree show, I designed um, a fictitious dance company. This is the sort of closet dancer in me that never <laughs> really sort of came out. But so, so I made these films which were about dance and movement. Um, and when I was doing that, we had like work experience options, and it was around 1980, it would have been, and the Serial Animation Studio had just opened in Cardiff. It was all coincided with Pederek, um, and, and Cardiff became a little bit of, of a hub for animation. So I applied for an internship there and got that. So I spent the summer between, I think, my second and third year at art college working in the animation studio. Um, and then carried on working freelance for them during my third year at art college. So, so basically that just opened the door for me to go and work there full time when I finished. And it, and it was probably just as simple as that. They were looking for people, New, Newport Art College and the, and the film school particularly, was a bit of a breeding ground. There were lots of us, I can think of at least three other people, who went to work at Serial Animation on the Super Ted series straight from film school so um yeah so that that's how i got into supertest and and so did that uh, lead you on to other similar tv projects did it open doors for you uh yeah it it, it certainly did i worked actually on the supertest series for about three years and then got to the point that you, there's only so much you can do, you know, so far you can go with teddy bears and you know this, the, the company were, were growing and starting to work on other projects and I think what happened was I was invited to put an exhibition together for Newport Museum and Art Gallery about animation um, I still had connections with the art school so um, yeah just to keep it brief so I did this exhibition about um, animation for John Frost at the John Frost Gallery in Newport uh, met up with some of my sort of animation chums there and through that there's a whole kind of series of things that happened I did some kind of uh, TV and radio interviews about animation because I realized I was actually quite good at explaining things and that's probably how I got into teaching but um, so while I was doing that um, I met a chap called Martin Lamb who was married to one of the people who worked at Super Ted and he was researching a TV program for um, HTV, HTV West called Ross Cartoon Club. And it was through my connection with Martin and having done that exhibition that I was invited to, I could say teach, but I, I was running uh, workshops for children, teaching them animation uh, to, for Ross Cartoon Club. So basically what would happen um, it was it was all done in studio and on set, and then uh, selected groups of children who'd written into the show got to make films and uh, talk about them. I I made the films for the children basically, and I had to teach how to use this computer system, which was an Amiga 2000. So it was my earliest experience of working in technology, but also it was my earliest experience experience of sort of working in a more inclusive way because we worked quite a lot on, on in the studio with children with special needs so that that kind of that's much later in my actual sort of career history but but that was certainly one of the shows I worked on um, I also did freelance work for S4C and um, so did some work with Blue Peter and, a, and another it's just 
it's a series of coincidences. Hmm. So, you know, I made a mistake in coming up to the studio today, thinking we were going to be recording in the studio. And I noticed on the wall, there's some fantastic artwork yeah. that's been created during COVID. And one of the artworks there is by an artist called Harry Holland, who's a fantastic um, painter. And so in 1998, I made a series of films with Harry Holland, which was animating his some of his drawings for BBC. And that series of films was called Take Five. So there you go. There, <laughs> that's that's, that's a are. happy coincidence. I just noticed that. And I said, oh, my first record is Take <laughs> Five. And, um, and I had that lovely project with Harry Holland. So I've kind of freelanced and done some quite interesting projects. A link to that one as well. Um, around about the same time, Dave Edwards, who was one of the directors of the Super Ted series of Serial, and there'd been a sort of um, a break in, in Serial and people had gone off in different directions. So Dave Edwards had the Serial animation studio, which is just around the corner from the hospital, actually, on Allen's Bank Road. We 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 produced the Take 5 series there with Harry in the Dave Edwards studio. And while I was there, I was asked if I would um, teach a couple of very special children who were going to be visiting the studio. It was all very hush-hush, you know. So I was like, well, you know, can you tell me a little bit about it? No, you know, you just have to turn up at the studio. So anyway, trying to keep that story short, the two special children were Prince Harry and Prince William. Oh, okay. So in, about, yeah, it would have been around 1998, I was invited to uh, make a short film with um, Princess Diana and um, Harry and William, and they would have been very young then. Hmm. So, um, yeah, that's a little thing to, to add yeah. to my story. Um, they probably won't remember me, Andrew, but it was, <laughs> I remember them. They were, they, were, they were lovely. Have you had your MBE they were just like yet? Kids. Uh, no. no. <laughs> Tell me about your next choice, Wendy, from Anna Calvi. Oh, wow. Yes. So, David Bowie. So if you were to ask me who I love the most as an artist when I was growing up, it would definitely be David Bowie. Um, I, I really like T-Rex, and my first ever record that I bought was Children of the Revolution. But Mark Bowling was kind of cute and pretty, and I was not so much into cute and pretty people. David Bowie, on the other hand, just... You know, music is often tied up with identity, and I think why I love Bowie so much, he he just had this kind of awkwardness that was rather rather gorgeous. And um, as <laughs> as a child, with very untamable, unruly hair, a very sort of bony, asymmetric face, and um, unruly teeth. Yeah, I, I remember really that. Identified, I identified with David Bowie and thought he was just gorgeous. And, and I remember my probably my first act of rebellion. I think my mother's forgiven me, I'm not sure, was cutting my hair. So I've got this kind of rather curly hair, which my mother used to sort of put in curlers and to try and make me look pretty. And it just never worked. So uh, I just cut my hair because I wanted to look like David Bowie in Space Oddity. And I remember buying Space Oddity and colouring in the album sleeve. You know when you had like the inside sleeve and I think it had a picture of Bowie and the lyrics and I remember colouring it in and 
I don't know, it's, it was just really magical. And there are so many Bowie tracks that I could choose. But I chose this one because Anna Calvi performed it at the, um, the proms um, in the Albert Hall. And there was a Bowie prom and she performed it and it, I completely kind of broke up into tears. I just thought it was the most beautiful version of that song. And so because I couldn't choose one David Bowie song that would have captured everything for me, I chose that one instead. Silver and America She'll drive a beetle car And beat you down at Tell me about Black Angel's death song from the Velvet Underground. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, I, I've just thrown that one in um, <sighs> because again, it's linked. It's linked to art college, and it's it's just something I play quite a lot. There's a bit of angst in it, and again, it's like how do you choose a Lou Reed or um, a Velvet Underground record? How do you know? There's just so many to mm. choose from, and a lot of them. I love, you know, the work with Nico. It's all very sort of beautiful. But sometimes I just like something that stirs you up and fires you up. So this is something I I listen to quite a lot. We we're all the whole family. We're all big Lou fans, and um, I was really into Velvet Underground when I was at art college, and it reminds me of art college parties and some of the decadence of that. Um, in in the sort of wonderful sort of late nineteen seventies, and and the really cool people that were around. Some of these parties were a bit wild, and you know that's what it was like, wasn't it? Mm. So um, this one, there's just something about it that I it's a go-to for me, to be honest, Andrew. And I can't even think of why, other than there's something, there's an energy to it, there's a rawness to it. Cut mouth bleeding, razors forget in the pain, antiseptic remains true goodbye. You're listening to another edition of Radio Glamorgan's Music Was My First Love with Wendy Key Bright, choosing ten of her favourite tracks. Broadcasting from the John Wills Studio at the University Hospital of Wales in Cardiff, we are Radio Glamorgan. Hearing that again now, well, I I realise I don't have any other female recording artists. That's very remiss of me. Um, But Patti Smith, you know, she she tops the lot. (laughs) You got Anna Calvi, though. Oh, that's true. She was doing David Bowie. Um, So why did I choose this one? I mean, I adore Patti Smith uh, at all levels. I love her books. I love her poetry. Um, Again... At art college, she was just a goddess. She still is a goddess. Um, and I remember going to see her in Sapphire Gardens, I think it was, and being right at the front of the mosh pit and being spat on, hmm. screamed at, and I just thought it was the best thing ever. <laughs> um, and again, she's a, you know she's another she's a woman who's 
comfortable with her identity, with yeah. this kind of awkwardness. Um, and I do love her books. They're really, really wonderful. But why did I choose that one? Well, that the rhythms, the chords right at the end and right at the start just remind me of when Simon and I went to see her in the Wesleyan Centre as part of the Festival of the Voice in, I think it's 2008. And, I mean, she was incredible. But she played that song and... and, and she, she sort of introduced it by talking about people that she'd lost and loved and, um, you know, you think of Lou Reed and David Bowie and all those mm. kind of really wonderful people. And so she played the opening chords for about two minutes, just those chords, mm. and asked people in the audience to just kind of reflect and remember people they'd loved. I think it's animals as well. There might have been some connection with her dog and my dog had died so it's all this kind of stuff that's really sad but the whole of the audience were just mesmerised and I think crying I was in floods of tears you know you could just get a bucket and mop me up mm. but, and, and, and I remember just looking at the there's two women sitting next to me and we just looked at each other and we were just in floods of tears oh. and it was so poignant and so beautiful um, but when I when I think of what I would have on on a on a playlist, I, I choose that one because it it just evokes memories of that gig, but also people in my life and pets and things that I've lost and loved. It's a, it's a really special song. I, the rhythm, you know, right mm. at the start, it it kind of you get very immersed in it. It's it's very comfortable. There's a lot of comfort in in rhythm, and I love rhythmic activities and. Um, there's a lot of rhythm in my work. So I think, yeah, Patti Smith, a complete goddess. And, um, yeah, <laughs> that's why I've chosen it. You've basically, uh, Wendy, been married to Radio Glamorgan for a long time. Um, oh, yes. So I'll ask you a question that <laughs> I've asked long-serving volunteers that have appeared on the show. Have you seen a lot of changes over the years to RG? Well, I don't, I don't know, really. I... I I'm not so involved, you know, Andrew. Um, when I first met Simon and he told me he, he sort of, he, he was, I don't know if he was chairman then, but he was doing a regular show. I, th I thought it was great. And I thought, oh, I've, I've never met a radio star hmm. before. And you still and, haven't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. No. But I, I always thought, uh, oh, just what, my experience of Radio Morgan is this lovely community of, really nice people who who love music and um they're just fun to be around you know i go to the christmas do's and um i do occasionally listen to simon on the radio but i have to listen to him quite a lot at home so yeah enough is enough <laughs> yeah um but so have i noticed any changes i i don't know obviously recently it's been much more difficult with um with covid but yeah. um yeah, I just, I loved the Radio Glamorgan quizzes during COVID. They were great. Yeah. I used to really look forward to those. I should do them, do more of them. It was a, it was a real highlight. Um, and obviously, you know, we've known Jamie a long time. And John was such a dear friend. Mm. John Will, such a dear friend. Um, and both of them were very kind when our daughter Rosie was quite poorly and yeah so my experience of Radio Glamorgan is less about the radio and the studio it's more about the people mm. 
Um, although one, one other thing to add is that in so, so you've already mentioned that I I'm, I work in Newport uh, Newport Cardiff School of Art and Design, oh, yeah. which um, is part of Cardiff Metropolitan University, not Cardiff University. Just in case anybody's listening, um, and um, our students designed worked on a redesign of the Radio de Morgan logo and your fiftieth anniversary. Um, graphics. Right. So um, I do a lot of client-based projects with my yeah. students, and so one year we were very fortunate to have Reggie Glamorgan as our client. Lovely. So I got to know a few more people then. So yeah, my my experience with Reggie Glamorgan is much more about the community of people who get involved than the actual studio itself. I wanted to jump back a little bit. Something you you mentioned very very briefly earlier on around about the period of working in television. Uh, Tell me about your work then with special needs. Yes, so Ross Cartoon Club, we had children with learning disabilities and deaf children. So when I was working on Rolf, I did sort of learn some very basic sign language. But I realised that working with um, children with kind of different needs who weren't, you know, conventional just working with them on animation just gave this kind of really wonderful opportunity to collaborate and for them to express themselves animation was was, is a really lovely art form for um just being able to use sort of repetition and um incremental develop things through incremental changes that's the way animation works and as a medium, it really suited people who had sort of different learning styles. But but more than that, I just enjoyed working with children with special needs much more than I enjoyed working with children who didn't have special needs. Mm. Um, and so it, it wasn't something I deliberately pursued, but it did become quite an interest of mine um, much later on when I, I started sort of, um, working more with technology and I started writing my own sort of computer programs and designing interfaces that really allowed for quite a, a free, expressive interaction with the technology rather than using technology to perform everyday tasks. So um, I'm not really describing that very well, but, but I... You know, I learnt to program um, using sort of various um, applications, and I was teaching programming and design to my students. And in doing that, I discovered that a really important way for learning is through play and being able to just explore and experiment. So I was designing sort of little interfaces for my students to teach them how to program and um, just discovered an interesting way of working with technology that wasn't about being right or wrong, but just um, experimenting. Um, So I I did design some um, applications, and I was testing them out at home with my kids, and particularly with my son, who at the time was quite young, pretty much, you know, as kids are today, but we are talking... Mm, 19, oh, about 2000, so he was about five, and he was already into computers, um, and so I, I started designing little computer games, basically, for him, and um, 
he really responded well to them and I showed them to his teachers in school and they were like, oh, you should really work with some of our kids with um, in, in the special needs unit because this is really, the kind of stuff I was, I was doing was basically if you play around with the mouse, let's say, um, it would create a, a graphical response on the screen. So if you're making circles, you're creating circles on the screen. If you're tapping it, you're kind of making sort of little... Um, shapes appear and it was just purely um, abstract and experimental but it introduced kids to computers and I guess that that began my interest in my research interest in developing interfaces that could support um, learners who were predominantly non-verbal to express themselves through technology. It's difficult to describe. The technology is so simple, I, I don't know why I'm making it so hard. It's very, it's very lyrical, it's a very lyrical way of, and it's very um, emergent and responsive. So rather than using, say, a keyboard to type a word, if you, if you type on a keyboard, every key that you're typing is bringing up some sort of shape or color or yeah it, it's very expressive hmm. um so it, it is yeah it's 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 a performance to be honest it's a, it's a performance with the computer and because of the way it's programmed the computer will respond to where the child's at and what the child does so it's it's child-led and and that work you know i did my phd in well, I finished in 2011, but it took me about five years. And during that time, you know, I worked in special schools and um, was just, you know, designing and creating interfaces that were responding to children's interest. Um, and obviously, being an academic, there was a lot of research um, that underpinned it and um, resulted in my PhD. And then following that, so we're talking. I finished in 2011, but but the, the body of, of the work was done sort of between 2005 and 2008, and all that was done pre-iPhone and um, kind of gesture-based technologies, which we're so familiar with now. Um, and so since then, I've worked a lot more with gesture-based technologies, with um, sort of uh, game consoles. So I've designed stuff that use the um, Connect and the Wii. Um, and now, of course, all our computers have cameras built in them, so we can just do stuff really easily mm. using cameras to track movements and then convert those into sort of graphical, yeah, graphical interfaces. So, so I, I, I kind of got my interest in working with children with special needs almost by accident by just being involved in my son's school and then meeting uh, teachers who were just absolutely phenomenal and inspiring and really encouraged me to work with them I guess to develop these interfaces and the products did really well <laughs> uh, yeah now your next choice Wendy the band are appearing on music was my first love for a fourth time and one of the previous three to choose them was Simon so are Faithless a particular yeah. favorite of your family <laughs> Faithless is definitely something that Simon and I agree on um, <laughs> so 
and undisputably we agree on so you know there's not many things as with most marriages yeah. but faithless we definitely agree on so yes I, I've chosen faithless because um, so I, I think Simon must have introduced me to faithless and to that sort of type of that genre of music um, and so for us uh, certainly in our, our early the early days of a relationship it was something that we would dance around to and um, insomnia, I think, or maybe is it irreverence the first? Yeah, insomnia is the other famous one. Okay, so we were really into that. But the, the reason I chose this is that we were, we were really fortunate, and I don't know how, quite how this happened, to find out about a warm-up gig that Faceless were doing in... Newport in what was the stowaway, and I don't know what it's called now or what it was called at the time of the Faithless warm-up gig, but the stowaway in Newport was one of my regular haunts as, a, as an art student. You know, we saw fantastic bands there, and, um, you know, I, I'd be sort of pogoing and rocking and rolling to, all, all night at the stowaway when I was an art student. Um, and so it was just amazing that Faithless were playing there, in that tiny venue so we went along to it I'm trying to think what date it would have been I've made some notes somewhere I will I will have a quick look um but we we went to this we went to this gig and like we could have touched Maxi Giles and you know Sister Bliss and it was that close it was really intimate and it was just incredible so it yeah it was a warm-up gig, gig for the insomnia tour and so we yes we went to that and absolutely loved it and then we got tickets for the insomnia tour and thought it would be a good idea to take our children with us who were quite young at the time and so um yeah so we, we all had tickets and it was in the cia this complete and utter contrast to the little stowaway gig and so we all sort of went along and and joe our youngest must have been I don't know, maybe 10 at the time. And he'd just come back from Llangranog, from his school trip to Llangranog. And so he probably hadn't slept for three nights. And I remember just sitting, we were sort of in, in a seated area and Joe just falling asleep. I'm <laughs> thinking, how can you fall asleep? <laughs> the whole place is moving, you know. And then Rosie, who's the eldest, the elder one, Rosie and I decided to get, you know, get down in the mosh pit. And we, we just got down there and um, rocked the night away, and it was absolutely brilliant. So Joe has forgiven me, I think, and um, Ro Rosie still loves Faithless, and Simon and I are still big fans. So, yeah. There, and there are, so again, so many tracks that um, I, I thought this, I, this is for all of us. You're a very keen cyclist and, I understand, ladies' champion at time trialer. Where did the love and the bug for cycling come from? So I had a bike when I was at art college to get me around. So I just used to ride. But I also had a boyfriend at art college. Um, it was quite a long-standing boyfriend. I think we were together for about six years. And, and he really liked cycling. So we used to go off and do a lot of cycling together. Um, and then when I left art college and 
uh, worked at the animation studio. We both worked there actually. Uh, uh, he can remain nameless, <laughs> but we both we both worked there, and then we split up. So it was like the big split, and I was really upset about it. Um, so I thought I'll join a cycling club, and I've I, I sort of been hankering to join a cycling. That's club a heck of a while. rebound. <laughs> well, no, I, I had been hankering to, to join a cycling club for a little while, but this boyfriend wasn't very keen on me doing it because he thought I would meet a lot of fit men. So when we split up, I thought, hmm, now's the time to meet some fit men. So um, my motivation was to meet some fit men. So I joined um, Cardiff Ajax Cycling Club. I don't know that I really met any fit men there, but I was, you know, quite... I just wanted to do well. I loved the bike, loved cycling, and was with people who were competing, so I just kind of got into... <laughs> got into it but one of the people at the cycling club who will also remain nameless sort of took sort of I made, had an impression of me that I would never make it as a cyclist because I didn't really look like a cyclist you know I, I still had the legacy of my art college days in my sort of hair and my dress and you know kind of Dr Martins and mm. a bit you know not like a cyclist um and and he said to me you'll you'll never make a cyclist and that was like a red rag to a bull really so i got into time trials and racing and um that's how i met simon so i, I left ajax and joined the byways because i was still looking for fit men at this point and i met my husband he didn't quite meet that criteria but he was fantastic you know so i, I I met Simon in the pub um, at a sort of byways regular sort of Sunday night pub meeting and he started chatting to me and uh, he just made me laugh already like just made me laugh <laughs> and still so does he yes he still does and um, that's one thing that we do a lot of I think is, is laughing and so it wasn't love at first sight, but it was laughter at full sight. Yeah. It certainly developed into, well, we've been together. It'll be our 30th wedding anniversary this year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think I fulfilled my mission by joining the cycling club and meeting. Good. Now, surprisingly, Joy Division are appearing on Music Was My First Love for the first time. So tell me about your eighth choice, She Lost Control. <laughs> So this is dedicated to my daughter. Our Simon and I have two two lovely children. Rosie is the eldest, and she is now twenty nine. And Joe is the youngest, and he's now twenty six. Ro- Rosie is the kind of more outlandish one, feisty, and just goes. Yeah, she goes for it. And I've always loved Joy Division, so I ha- I had to include Joy Division because again, back to my art school days and. Um, a lot of kind of iconic music but again album covers and um, so I needed to choose a Joy Division track now which one would I choose so I chose this one for Rosie because she I introduced I think I introduced her to Joy Division and she loves this track it's her favorite track but there are other links um, for as a Christmas present I think it was two years ago must maybe three now she bought tickets for her and myself to go to the Royal Albert Hall and see 
Peter Hook and the light performing the, the celebration of Joy Division. Oh my goodness, what a Christmas present. And we went to that, and I, I, I can honestly say it wasn't my favourite gig. We were way up in the gods, and I didn't really feel... I don't know, it didn't quite have the Joy Division spark for me. But it was a fabulous occasion, and, and it was great to be in Royal Albert Hall, and Rosie and I had a lovely time. But more recently, I went to Manchester, where she lives, to stay with her for a long weekend. I hadn't been able to travel for, what, 18 months? And coincidentally, there is, I think it's still on, an exhibition in the Science Museum, Science and Industry Museum in Manchester of factory records. And so I just thought, what, what a wonderful opportunity to play um, this particular track by Joy Division. And she turned around and took me by the hand and said I've lost control again. What does being Professor of Technology and Inclusion at Cardiff's Metropolitan University in the School of Art and Design entail? I did that in one breath, I hope you realise. <laughs> very good, very good. What does it entail? So I spend, I, my time is divided between research and teaching, but actually it's all the same person doing it, so my research and my teaching are actually, they, they, they do influence one another. So um, on the research side, I am still involved in developing technology interfaces. I graduated sort of from working with children to working more with adults with learning disabilities and kind of even older people. So uh, I'm very interested in, again, how we move and why we move and move as a form of movement as a form of expression and how that can not only have health benefits but benefits but it also has kind of um, it really helps us to express our identities when sometimes well words can't do the job so um I, I, yes, that's very much part of my research. I work with fabulous people. I work with a whole range of people. I don't do this by myself by mm. any means. Um, but the, but all the work I do in my research is very participatory. It's what we would call ethnographic in research terms. It's about um, being connected to communities, being immersed in a kind of the culture and the ebb and flow of community life. To, you, you need to be somebody who's able to observe and listen rather than somebody who's kind of seeking out answers for things. So, um, so, so because a lot of the work is participatory and I, and I guess my professorship has come from the methods that I use to design with people as much as actually the designs and the technology outputs themselves. So because that is the way in which I work, that is something that I work with with my students. We look at how our design is very much dependent on the relationships we form with people and how we understand people in their settings in order to communicate with them. So graphic communication, which is the area that I teach, is you know it, it it includes what a lot of us might take for granted in terms of your you know your interfaces on a computer mm -hmm. posters books um, information that you know these days it's not so much print but it's it's ubiquitous it's everywhere so um, 
when I work with my students, it's about really identifying with people in order to communicate with them in in terms that they're going to understand. So it's about simplicity, making sure that, that the message is pared down and clear, um, that the, the design actually supports the communication rather than overwhelms it, um, and techniques really for um, being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. So that that's how the two are sort of interconnected. Um, as I mentioned earlier with the Radio Glamorgan project, we work very much with clients in the real world. Mm. I do a lot of work with um, health organisations designing information design for Public Health Wales, Cuntoff Health Board. We've worked with University Hospital Wales. But it's, it's designing in very specific contexts. For example, we've done some campaigns for... Um, informing people about the risks of stroke to young people and um, we've worked with clinicians on fall pre- prevention so I mean those are just a couple of examples but it's very much um, about how we understand somebody else's perspective other than our own in order to optimize on the opportunities for communication and the kind of communication is graphic communication and you enjoy it? Get a kick out of it still? I do. I do enjoy it. But it's it's constantly changing. It's mm. not a static job. I've been in Cardiff Met in its various um, disguises <laughs> for, for nearly 30 years. And I think, well, why? I'm still there. But my job has changed radically. You know, the teaching environment has changed. Technology, mm. you know shapes everything we do and you know never more so than over the past 18 months when we've had to work and teach online and I've had to meet people um, online on a regular basis so it's fundamentally shifted the way that we work as educators but I think it's also allowed the students it's given the students quite a lot of agency to be able to I mean, you know, students, they're digital natives, they're so comfortable Mm. with the technology. So I think, although it's been very hard not doing face-to-face studio teaching, there have been, uh, the quality of the work, Andrew, over the last 18 months has been phenomenal. And I think it's because the students do take responsibility for their actions. They're very committed. Students get a bit of a bad name sometimes in the press. But, you know... They are our future, and the students I work with, particularly when they're working on these client-based projects, they are mature, they're responsible, they really sense the importance of their role. You know, there's real meaning to it. Um, And although I sort of cut my teeth on things like factory records and designing record covers and sort of funny little films, I, I didn't have the opportunities to design in the way that our students do. So I, I really, I really appreciate the fact that they they rise to the challenge, and and they're not interested in fluffiness. They really want to do work that has a strong social message. So I, I do still get a buzz out of it. For your ninth choice, you've gone to the movies and something from Little Mermaid. <laughs> 
it's almost from the, for the sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> so, I, yeah, this is a bit weird. Why have I put this one in? Because it doesn't sort of really fit with everything else. So the reason I've put this in is I wanted to choose something for Joe that really reminded me of Joe, who is our youngest, who is now 26, and he might not forgive me for this. But I have told him I'm going to do it. Joe was very much... Um, under the wing of his elder sister and as children they, they, I mean they, they have a great friendship um, both our children they, they're really lovely together, they always have been And uh, but Joe very much followed Rosie and um, they loved Disney films but that wasn't really why I chose it when, when, they, when they were younger I used to make films with them so I always had a camera and in the old days you know in the olden days we had video cameras and it wasn't digital um, but I always had a camera and I used to make films with them so a regular activity on a Saturday night as a family we would make little films and the children would dance and perform in the living room and I would film and we would just kind of muck around and and, and, and then I would edit the films and add music to them and, and make proper little films and and I, I was also kind of learning how to use some of the more digital editing tools. So I used to have to convert analog to digital, and it, it was all very time-consuming on a computer that I think about had about eight meg of RAM, which you know you, you couldn't even look no. at these days. But you know it was part of what I was doing, so I made these little films. And there, there's one film in particular called In the Bath. And it's a film I made of the children in the bath and then, and they were blowing bubbles in the bath. And Rosie blows this massive bubble with bubble bath and Joe just pops it. And it's hilarious. And then they get out of the bath and they're brushing their teeth. It's, it's just kind of usual kid stuff. Mm. And then Joe's putting his pyjamas on and he puts both legs, both his legs into one leg of his pyjamas and falls over. It, it's a bit slapstick and funny. But it's such a beautiful film. I love it. And I, I've made lots of films with them. And, and one of them actually used the faceless track, um, Fatty Boo. Yeah. Um, and that is both of them in wetsuits. So I thought, well, they won't appreciate that one. So I won't talk about that one. Um, so this film, I used the, the Kiss the Girls soundtrack on the film. And I can play that soundtrack and see the film and see the children, very young children, just kind of being kids and um, it just makes me smile if you don't know why but you're dying to try you wanna kiss the girl Wendy Keybright your final choice of 10 is from Pete Tong with Fatboy Slims right here right now mm, yes so yes right here right now I just thought this is a good place to kind of draw it to a close in a way but um there are, again, there's, a, there's always a little story, a little connection. Mm-hmm. So Joe, who we just talked about um, with the last track, who I just need to um, add on that film, they were very, very young, so it wasn't weird, you know, in the bath. They were yeah, yeah, sure. Sort of like tiny babies, and there was lots of bubble baths, so it was all very innocent. Um, so Joe uh, studied uh, stage management at Birmingham University School of Art and Design, and he now works as a, a stage manager on Publicum in here in Cardiff. But you know he's he's worked worked on many stage tours um, since leaving university. So he worked for a while for Birmingham Stage Company, and I think 
that's um, when we decided to go to this gig. Joe was in Birmingham, so we went to this um, Pete Tong with a Heritage Orchestra, Jules Buckley, I think, in Birmingham International Arena, and I think it's 2018. And we decided to go. I, I, I'd heard some of this on the radio, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I think Sam was a bit surprised because he was stuck. Well, I'm not normally into Pete Tong. It's not normally something I would listen to. But I'd heard it or seen something. I was like, I really want to go to this. So Simon got tickets for us to go to Birmingham and uh, and Joe, meet up with Joe. And it's just before Christmas. I think it was November or something. So we went to the Christmas markets in Birmingham and we sort of went to this gig. And, you, you know, you, you're kind of waiting in anticipation, having a beer and then it goes quiet and then there's that moment you kind of know something's going to happen and then it, it was really quiet and then those opening bars and everything lit up it was absolutely incredible and I just thought I would like just to hear those opening bars I don't know that I even like the whole song but it was just that beginning that mm. opening um, there's so much energy and I just thought it's right here right now and I've done a lot of reminiscing and there's so much music that I love talking about and I did say I would choose things that made me immediately sort of smile or feel something and it's, it's just as well this is on radio and not video because I've been sort of jigging about dancing around the room while I've been talking to you um, so I just wanted to close with this the memory of that and that sort of real joy of right here, right now, and the lovely people in my life that have brought music to me. And each track reminds me of those. And um, so, yeah, right here, right now. I couldn't think of a better way to end. Wendy, it's been a real pleasure chatting and listening to your music choices. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you for asking me. I've loved it. Pleasure. Right here, right now, right here. been listening to music was my first love on radio glamorgan where wendy keybright has been choosing 10 of her favorite songs i'm andrew wolf and join me again soon when i'll be joined by another guest who chooses 10 of their favorite tracks on another edition of music was my first love music of the future